Sports Talk rolls on. It's Monday. That means we turn our attention to the rule book. And if you have any questions about scenarios, scenarios you saw play out or over the weekend or recently that you want to make sure that it was, it was carried out the way it was supposed to, you can get online, 656-9900, 656-9900. We head to the Stanley Fencing and Gates hotline for uh, our next guest, which his appearance brought to you each week by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Right, Jimmy? Absolutely. And uh, I certainly would uh, vouch for Gordon Hines. They do a terrific job. Uh, they're very reasonably priced, and they can take care of pretty much anything that you need. They do a great job uh, with uh, Gordon Hines and his company. Pleased to be joined by the SEC replay official, Gerald Hodges. Gerald, how are you? Doing well, Jimmy. John, how are you? Doing well. Uh, doing... Always great to talk to you. Yep. Good. Uh, Good deal. I wanted to ask you about uh, a play, and I think I know the rule, but I want to run it by you, and I thought it was very close. So um, you've got a wide receiver that is going toward the sideline, and he catches the football, and he's got both feet on the ground. One foot's inbounds, and one foot is out of bounds. What's the rule? I mean, okay, it's a simultaneous. Are both feet? Same time. Same time time he's out of bounds. Okay, he's out of bounds. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's close. I saw an NFL game in which a guy had, and I know they need two inbounds in that situation, but I was thinking about whether or not if it hit the, the same time what that call was. So that would be out of bounds in, in regard to that play. Okay, Right. Uh, and that that is a reviewable play, Jimmy. But sometimes it is so close that it's impossible to tell on the field. And, you know, in slow motion, stop motion, then we can determine – if one foot hit first, and then if they both hit simultaneously, then it you know it goes out of bounds. All right, uh, I want to ask you this, and this occurred in the uh, in the Alabama Georgia game. Uh, there was uh, Alabama completes a pass. Uh, it's on a, roughly the thirty yard line of Georgia. There's three seconds left in Alabama. It's a first down, so they stop the clock, and Alabama runs up there to spike the ball. And they initially ruled that the clock had run out. Uh, then they came back and said, no, put one second back on it. In a situation like that, and I know the rule is you've got to have at least three seconds left for them to be able to spike it, correct? Correct. Okay. So when you are putting the ball back in play, do you have to be very mindful of getting out of the way to give them the opportunity to spike it so that you don't run off three seconds and it's only two? That Yeah, that's correct. That's a really tight. Uh, timing play on any game, uh, but if there were, you know, if there were three seconds, then they obviously can spike the ball. If there's less than three, the only thing they can do is run a play. But if there's three seconds, then they can spike it, and like typically, it'll it'll usually end up with one second on the clock, and then both of those situations are reviewable. Yeah, and that's what they ruled. And when I watched it, I was thinking about you, and I was thinking about that three seconds. So I felt like. They they got that right, and they did put a second back on the clock. It allowed Alabama to kick a field goal to uh, to score three points at the end of the uh, of the first half. Correct. Let's go to the phones where Dakota joins us. Hi, Dakota. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I had a question about the Alabama Georgia game, which I'm sure we all watched. And a touchdown pass by Bennett there at the end of the first half. Uh, he hits Burton in the back of the end zone. Burton takes 
four steps and uh, gets the ball punched out, and they call it a touch on the field, and they review it, and they call it a touchdown still, which deeply confused me because I'm an Ohio State fan, and I remember that Fiesta Bowl game. And the same crew called that an incomplete pass after we recovered it for a touchdown and completely changed the landscape of that game the same way the officials changed the landscape of that game the entire game, throwing Sean Wade out, incomplete pass on Dobbins. I just wanted your take on that. Gerald, did you see the play Alabama-Georgia? I did not. No, sir, Jimmy, I did. Oh, of course, any scoring play is a reviewable play. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't get what will typically happen is you don't always on the first, on the what they call the line feed, the first, you know, what you're seeing on TV uh, on the line feed. But you have to be able to see the ball to, you know, to make sure that he did possess the ball. Uh, and then, you know, and on the scoring play, they, they want to be very cautious on any scoring play and um, maybe look for another angle on the particular play. And then, you know, sometimes the other angle is very obvious, but it's it's not obvious on the first line feed, so you need to stop it for to look at. And then there's also a, a big difference in terms of a turnover that happens within the field of play or, or a, a reception, I should say, that turns into a turnover on the field of play versus what is a reception in the end zone where there is nothing that would be, I guess, um, altering to the call it's not like the momentum was carrying to the ground uh if you catch and possess the football in the end zone gerald that's that's a touchdown it doesn't matter if it gets punched out three four however many steps after it's once you possess it and you've got your feet in and there's nothing that adds to uh the i guess degree of difficulty on maintaining possession it's a touchdown the, the play stops that is correct. And once he possesses, let and you are exactly correct. If he's not going to the ground in the process of the catch, which if he is, we know he's got to survive the ground. But if he possesses the ball upright and has the ball in his possession in the end zone, the ball becomes immediately dead. So anything after that is a dead ball. So it it is a bit apples and oranges in that specific instance. Correct. Yeah, I I saw the play. I, I'm not so didn't quite feel that he took four steps, but he he took more than two, and I thought it was the right call. I thought it was a touchdown. I don't recall Dakota's Ohio State play that he's talking about. I don't remember that, but I do believe to me clearly they got the call right. The Alabama Georgia game, the Georgia guy did score a touchdown uh, after taking at least two steps with possession of the ball before it was knocked loose. But, Dakota, we do appreciate the call. Let's go next to Reed. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Reed. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you all for taking my call. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling. I was just wondering about a kickoff. So, if offsides is, like, or onside kick is 10 yards past, the ball's playable. Why, on a regular kickoff, if the ball sails through the end zone, not through the end zone, but just lands in it, but doesn't go out of the field of play, is it ruled dead touchback? Like, why can't the kicking team go dive on that ball in the end zone? Okay. Uh, the rule on the kickoff or free kick, if the ball touches, and it, it's the same thing on a punt, actually. If a ball touches the ground, 
in the end zone untouched by the receivers. Now, if they muff it in the field to play and it gets back there on either case, they've got to go get on the ball, at least down. But if the ball hits untouched in the end zone, in either case, it becomes immediately dead. Now, uh, that's uh, it's a safety issue. It just keeps them, uh, it just keeps guys trying to pick it up, try to run it out or whatever. But when the ball hits untouched, it, it becomes dead. Doesn't it also discourage the people running down the field to have contact, just say, it's dead, you know, it's over, don't worry about trying to hit anybody, just stop? It does, and if you'll notice the officials, there are three, three officials deep on, uh, on the kickoff, and you'll notice the, fish, the officials, if that, and of course, with majority of the kickoffs today typically go into the end zone. Now, you can catch the ball in the end zone on the fly and run it out, uh, that's not right. usually a good an idea with the new rule change, but if it hits the ground in the end zone untouched, then they're going to get it at 25, same if they fair catch it. Uh, so, but the key is typically if the ball's that deep, get away from it. Don't take a chance on it hitting you because then it becomes a live ball. All right, so safety issue, heard. All right, thank you. All right. We All sure right. do appreciate it. Reed, thank you very much. 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. And, Gerald, we saw, uh, I guess there are always, um, the rule book is a living, evolving thing. And we saw an adjustment made after the way things went down at the end of the Arkansas-Auburn game. And I'm just wondering, how frequently does that happen during the course of a season? Um, when you have something like that that results in a change, and what this does is it expands, I guess, um, replay's ability to, uh, to take a look at when, uh, how a play might have gone to uh to have an immediate recovery if one didn't happen before a whistle was blown well you will get during the season john maybe i mean this is just off the cuff but you might get two uh and they call it editorial changes or approved rulings ars which the second half of the college rule book is full of approved rulings that are basic clarifications on the rules you know as they're written and from time to time, there are different situations that come up. It's hard to write on any rule, you know, when you're there in March and April trying to write a rule change that, you know, is equitable and everything will work out. So sometimes during the year, you'll see, you know, that's some little tweak that we really need to address. And that uh, those happen, like I said, maybe twice, three times a year, sometimes none, uh, and then some of them happen in the off season. You'll get a new approved ruling on a specific rule without changing the rule exactly, but just tweaking it a little bit. Again, our guest Gerald Hodges. If you have a question or a comment, six five six ninety nine hundred six five six ninety nine hundred star nine ninety is free for AT and T and U S cellular customers. The toll free number one eight six 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 five six ninety nine hundred. Now, I don't know that you guys are ever in the same place because a lot of times when there's a rules question, they have their uh, 
their analyst that they go to that is a former official. But, Gerald, do you know many that serve in that capacity with CBS? A lot of times they go with the same analyst, Gene Steratore, uh, who can do both pro and college. But do you know many uh, former officials that now serve in that capacity as an on-air analyst in breaking down questions as they arise during a game? Well, I know of, you know, I do not know Gene Steratore personally. He's a, he's a great official, actually, both in college and the pros. Uh, but uh, Matt Austin handles that uh, that uh, position for ESPN and the SEC Network. And then uh, Bill Lamagna is a very well-respected official, worked, I guess, out of the Big Ten. I know Bill very well also. So basically those are the three right now that are really uh, – you know, do active as far as doing the rules interpretation. But uh, like I said, I know two of the three, and uh, they do a really great job. We'll get a break and be back with more as our guest, Gerald Hodges. If you have a question or comment, we look forward to hearing it. And, again, we can tell you that Gerald's appearance is brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. This is Sports Talk on 99.1, The Sports Animal. Sports Talk continues. I'm John Wilkerson with Jimmy Hyams, our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900, star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Hey, Gerald, I want to ask you about this. Um, do you or people in the SEC confer with uh, replay officials in other conferences uh, just to kind of see if you guys are on the same page with interpretations? Well, Jimmy, we don't actively inter, you know, uh, interact with officials in different conferences. What we have every other week, and it was all summer during every week, uh, Dean Blandino is the national coordinator of replay. Dean was the vice president of officiating in the NFL. He's, he's still a rules analysis on Fox Network. Uh, but uh, we have a Zoom meeting every major conference, well, actually all the, I guess, the Division One conferences have a Zoom meeting with Dean every other week during the season now. But during the summer, it was every week. And he, we'd have about two or three different conferences, you know, at a time to kind of make it a manageable crowd. But it was a one-hour Zoom, and uh, he would go over videos of different plays. And, uh, you know, so we, we definitely have a... I guess a uh, single point of uh, information that, that disseminates out to all the uh, replay officials in the country. So the idea is, is of course, the same as the on-field officials, is uh, with Steve Shaw being the national coordinator of officiating, and uh, so we that is the goal to get the uh, get the different conferences all on basically the same page on the interpretations. So do you think they've done a better job of that? Because it used to be you might watch an SEC game and they might look at targeting one way and the Pac-12 or the Big 12 might look at it a different way. So you, you feel like the interpretations 
are a lot better than, than they used to be. Well, I, I would disagree with you on targeting, Jimmy. The targeting came along after uh, after I was in the replay booth a while. And, of course, I mean, obviously there's going to be difference of opinion. But on the targeting issue, I think we're very close to all being on the same page for the last several years, especially when they they passed the, the rule that we could actually initiate a targeting foul from the booth. We had to be very, very close close you know to each other on that uh where we saw early in the year when I, early years not this year earlier in the years when i first got in we had different mechanics which is you know where you where you're positioned on each individual play and that varied greatly from conference to conference and then that uh when dave perry became i guess the national coordinator of officials it it started coming together so now I think they're they're very close on all those. The, the ideal is just like basketball; they want to get they want to get the uh, officials all on the same page as far as enforcement of the rules and also mechanics. Let's go back to the phones and check in with Ron. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Ron. Good evening, gentlemen. I always look forward to your call each week, and it's a pleasure to talk. Um, question. Uh, Gerald, on, I've noticed this in many college games where when there's a punt, the punter kind of gets the ball, and then he might take three, four, five, six steps sideways and then kind of do that soccer-style kick, like that low-line drive. It, it appears that players are released off the line of scrimmage well before the punt is actually kicked, and I was always under the impression they can't move until the ball's in the air. Um, and I don't know if maybe I'm just not seeing that right, but it seems as though players are, are advancing much quicker before the ball's even punted. I don't know if there was a change there. And, and if that's the case, is that a reviewable play if there's an infraction there? Okay, Ron. In college, there is no restriction on when the uh, linemen can go downfield or what we call the gunners, the wideouts. Uh, and there may have been at one time something in the pros, but like I I don't keep up with that. I do well to keep up the college rules, but there is no, uh, there's no restriction. Uh, now you're, you're mentioning the punter, where we call it the rugby style kicker. Uh, if he runs outside the tackle box and kicks that ball and he happens to get contacted by a defender, then uh, typically you will not see roughing the kicker because the feeling is if he runs that far outside the tackle box, then he could run, you know, run it for a first down. So that's the only uh, okay. issue there. If he runs outside the tackle box and kicks, he's kind of on his own, not getting run. But there isn't any restriction on the lineman going downfield. The other thing you might notice is you, they usually put some of the fastest players on the team as the gunners on the outside going down to cover it. So they get down there really quick if they get some good hang time. Yeah, Ron, my understanding it, it's, it was never it was never a college rule, but it was an NFL rule. I don't know if it still is, but I, it it was an NFL rule only. Well, that explains why I'm seeing it more because that's a pretty good strategy then to get your gunners down there quick. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. I appreciate the clarity on that. Hey, yes, Ron, sir. We, thank you, Ron. We sure do appreciate you. Again, if you have a question or comment for Gerald, 656-9900, 656-9900-STAR-990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, one 656 
9900. Uh, Gerald, as long as you were an on-field official and as long now as you continue to uh, to work in the capacity you do, just, I mean, the own, I guess, the uh, the inner dialogue that you have in watching a game unfold, I'm just wondering what goes through your mind if perhaps you happen to see something on the field that you wouldn't necessarily have operated the same way in terms of adjudicating the rule book or, I mean, do you ever have those moments where you're not 100% as an individual agreeing with the call as it's made on the field, whether it's anything that's up for replay or not? Well, you know, like anybody watching, my typical watching a game, which I do very little of because I'm typically working a game, but mm-hmm. uh, when I do get a chance to watch a game, I literally, uh, and I've been at it so long, I don't, I don't have favorites at all. So I watch the officials, and and I almost you know mentally kind of grade them most of what they're doing, and uh, and a lot of times I'll see something, and uh, I don't know about that, and then they'll show a replay, and the guy's got it exactly right. So I try not to go too far off the ledge one way or the other, <laughs> but I, I typically I typically watch the officials and. Of course, I'm cheering for them. I really am. Mm-hmm. Everyone in a striped shirt wants them to do a good job, and that's the whole key. Jerry, we were talking earlier about the, the kickoff rules. Uh, have you know? And one of the reasons they put in a lot of these rules because they felt like there were more concussions per kickoff than pretty much any other play. Is there evidence to support that there have been fewer concussions on kickoffs due to the new, the relatively new kickoff rules? Well, it, yes, absolutely. They, they, the injuries have gone down. And of course, the major rule that we're talking about, Jimmy, of course, is the the fair catch rule. If in, if they catch if they fair catch the ball anywhere inside the twenty five yard line, uh, it comes back to the twenty five. And you know, used to, or if it kicks in the end zone on the fly, it comes to the twenty five. And they're they're trying to reduce the number of runbacks. And it, it has reduced quite a bit, but you still get ones late in the game or, you know, depending on the score and time, uh, you know, a run back might fire the team up or they may be behind hoping to get a, you know, a good favorable field position, that type of thing. But the other one, too, also on the, on the run backs are the, of course, they've eliminated blocking below the waist on any kick play and any change of possession. So that cuts out the knee injuries and that kind of thing, blocking below the waist. So, but that's the whole deal. You get, you know, eleven players on each team running full speed at each other. Uh, there's some legal. There can be some legal, uh, just tremendous contact. So, uh, the actual, I think injuries have gone down. So they think that's working. Uh, they were a little surprised that there were more fair catches, uh, but it, it's it's. Mm. Gen- slowly climbing each year because they figured out, you know, the guy catches the ball deep in the end zone, he gets to the 20 and just gets absolutely annihilated legally. You know, he could just get away from the ball and it comes at 25, they'll get more yardage in the long run on taking the uh, touchback. And with targeting, have we seen fewer concussions uh, in general over the last few years? Is there evidence to support that? Well, I don't think we've actually seen a, an official study, but 
we do know that the targeting valves have gone down. It's finally, you know, we finally turned the corner, if you want to say a popular phrase these days. But uh, it does seem that the, you know, the, the targeting penalty is working, and you see you see fewer, you know, fewer injuries to that regard. So I do think that overall, that's that's been a very positive influence. We've got one more segment to today's program. Again, this reminder, at 8 o'clock tonight, it's Big Orange Hotline, courtesy of the Vol Network. So uh, you can be, uh, you'll be able to tune in for that at, uh, at 8 o'clock. But we've got one more segment with Gerald to get your question or comment in under the wire. 656-9900, 656-9900. His appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. This is Sports Talk on 99.1, The Sports Animal. Where what Willis was talking about. 99.1, the sports animal. Final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest, SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. And Gerald, there are those calls in basketball. It'll be the block charge. But tell me, uh, is it the most difficult to determine uh, the difference between pass interference and just chicken fighting going on between a receiver and a defensive back as they run down the field, each trying to hold or hold on to one another? Uh, John, that is absolutely correct. Being the former downfield official whose job mainly was to uh, watch the wide receiver on every play, that to be in football is the equivalent to the block charge in basketball. But the rule, it's not quite as complicated as you know you want you would think. But the rule basically for uh, pass interference or defensive pass interference is that, uh, you know, the defensive player cannot make an obvious, and remember that word, obvious attempt to impede the receiver in getting the ball. Uh, now, granted, you know, you'll, you'll see them going down the field, and we call it chicken fighting. You know, mm-hmm. They'll be kind of reaching and feeling to figure out where everybody is. But as long as they don't grab, push, or hold, you know, impede the other player. Of course, you cannot contact them before the ball gets there. But if the two players are going up making a bona fide attempt for the ball, you will see some contact. And uh, that's the big difference you'll see. Now, the deal is on the defense, once the offensive player gets even with you, you can't grab him, impede him in any way, arm bar or whatever. Uh, But if you're running side by side, you know, then the rule says each player actually has an equal opportunity for the ball. All right. Jared, do you – I'm sorry, were you through? No, I, would, I was just – I just acknowledged. Oh, okay. Uh, Gerald, uh, do you feel that the collaborative replay has worked? The SEC's got three guys in a booth in Birmingham to help out. Do you feel like it has worked? Has it gone the way you had hoped? It really has, Jimmy. Uh, you know, a lot of people feared when it first came in, they said, 
well, that's going to really drag the you know the length of the replays out. But I think the stats will show that with collaborative officiating or collaborative replay, that uh, if anything, they have gone down, and uh, it's it's amazing. Typically, the uh, the collaborative officials pretty much let the on-field officials, you know, pretty much do their thing. Uh, they can see their screen and what what they're doing, and uh, you know, and then typically the the, on, the uh, on-site official will just kind of verbalize what he's doing, and he'll look through. And then on any particular play, you get to a point on the replay, and there's there are a lot of plays that are reviewed that are never actually stop or review on the field. Uh, it's a little more difficult this year because we're we're probably down several cameras per game. But still in you know, a lot of cases you can get get a really good shot and not have to stop the game. But on the flip side when you you've got, you know, three more sets of eyes looking at all these different angles and uh, you know, the one of them might see something that, you know, it might take you two or three frames to get to and then simply so check this angle out then in that regard, it can it can cut down on the review time. Jerry, we have about a minute left. Uh, there was a play in which a, a college player had the football, lowered his helmet as he was a ball carrier. The defender lowered his helmet. They collided, and they called targeting on the defensive player. Uh, is there anything in the rule book that says an offensive player cannot be called for targeting? Uh, you want me to answer this in a minute, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> If I could do that, I'd write the rule book. Actually, what the rule says, Jimmy, and I'll read you the first line. It says, no player shall target and make forcible contact against an opponent with the crown of his helmet or a defensive player, defenseless player. The, the deal with that, the offensive player kind of gives up some protection because as you all know, a runner is not a defenseless player. Right. So he can lower his head, and uh, the uh, I guess you would say the onus is on the defensive player. He cannot lower his head and hit with the crowd the helmet. So uh, you will seconds. see, and we'll see it. You know what? You'll see some helmet to helmet contact, and it's side to side. And mm-hmm. um, but it it. They actually, there's another one of those approved rulings that the defensive player, he lowers his head and attacks the opposing player. And that's a key word. It really, that's a change. Uh, you know, then it's, you know, attacks him with the, and hits with the crown of the helmet. Gerald, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. We say thank you to A.G. Hines.